Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. This shit, it's like... It's like an alternate side? Yeah, it's like a Seinfeld episode every fucking day, right? Every day. So, So so Basically, um, if you park your car on a public space in the street, you have to move it twice a week during a 90-minute period between 9 and 10.30. And if you don't move your car, you get anywhere from like a $60 to $150 ticket. So people who don't want to pay, in my neighborhood, parking would be something like $700 a month or more. If you don't want to do that, you park on the street, but then twice a week, you have to go down Make sure you don't get ticketed. And then when the street sweepers come by, move your car in this fucked up little dance that everybody does and then move it back. So well, rain, shine all over New York City. You will see people between 9 and 1030 sitting in their cars doing calls or sleeping or rushing to make sure they don't get a ticket. That's so, really funny. Was, yeah. that, was, that, was that a good summary? Oh, that's yeah. perfect. And, and I just want to say, I mean, obviously, this is the Angry Planet podcast. Uh, <laughs> you can tell from, uh, you know, what we're talking about. Uh, my name's Jason Fields. Matthew Galt Matthew is Galt. here. He's here as always. Uh, and we're very, very lucky to be joined by Paul Rykoff, who, by the way, I've just been listening to your podcast again, Independent Americans. Fucking love it. Thank you, really, man. Really, I- really love it. I I appreciate it. We've been grinding at it, and I hope folks are listening. Um, And I got to be honest with you. I thought we were just doing a call. I didn't know we were recording a podcast, so let's fucking go. That's great. Is that okay? Yeah, yeah. Well, I I saw you. I didn't mean to surprise you. (laughs) I saw saw you hit record, and I thought it was either you or the Russians. So I was like, all right, no problem. No, no, no. It's definitely the Russians. Uh, As long as you don't mind, as long as you don't mind, then I might have to actually move the car in the middle of this interview. That is That's perfect. Great. That See, is this perfect. is why we. This is why I wanted to capture that explanation at the top. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I can actually see here. I mean, do you guys have video or just? Audio? Oh yeah, yeah, but we're not yeah, recording we the video. Well, the, we, we're not okay, recording. So the here video. comes the street sweeper. There he goes. Right. So he's yeah. making it right over there, and he's got this kind of converted garbage truck. And the great dilemma is: Will he turn over here? So all of us right now are waiting to see if he's going to be lazy on a Friday <laughs> and not do this street. Or if he's just going to make the turn and, and, and come through here, and we're all going to have to shuffle. I so, love that. Uh, is this the content wondering... you guys wanted for your podcast? Yes. yes. Well, now I'm wondering how many podcasts I've listened to that were recorded in cars as people waited to move to the alternate side of the street. More than people admitted. I mean, that's my old thing with, with independent Americans. I think that people need to be more real and authentic and stop bullshitting. And that's part of it, right? So. I think a lot more people are doing it from their cars than they admit. That's that's probably true. And well, ironically, we probably... we're talking about this. There's always a weird element. The guy in front of me has a, a beautiful Audi with New Hampshire plates, right? And and what does it say on the New Hampshire plate? Live free or die, right? 
And it's just, there's, there's something uniquely ironic about sitting behind a guy with New Hampshire plates who's in New York dealing with the same bullshit that, that we are. <laughs> yeah, except Not he's exactly paying less free. insurance than you are. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, we digress. Thank you for having me, guys. Have yeah. Happy Friday. Well, so look, uh, you and I had uh, corresponded a little bit about Mark Milley. And uh, this is something that I th- you've spoken about. And I, I really would like to understand what the hell happened with Trump and the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff before Trump actually left office. I mean, what do you what do you know? What what really happened? Well, I have to also admit that when, when I dialed in, I saw that it said Mark Milley. And I was like, oh, shit, he's going to be on the podcast, too. Great. Oh, That's yeah, like, absolutely. He comes on the show every other week. But, you yeah. know. All right. Now, so I'm going to answer this question while I move the car. All right, guys, I'm going to give you a play awesome. by play. Oh, I love it. That's an extra degree of difficulty. Oh, yeah. Perfect. Like, you now, in the military, you learn how to multitask. And so me and the New Hampshire guy are going to do this at the same time. And here's <laughs> what it is, guys, because I think a lot of this has to do with the environment that Trump has created. Um, if you have a little bit of courtesy and cooperation, you know, America can can go pretty well. Right. And, and things can go pretty well to include our national security in particular. And right now we've got very little courtesy and, and very little cooperation happening between the political side and our military side. And I think that cuts to the core of your question about Milley. Look, Trump tried to politicize the military. Trump crossed every boundary possible in American history with regard to how you politicize and use the military, what you ask the military to do. And I think we now know from, you know, testimony from from whistleblower accounts, from uh, from people like John Kelly, General John Kelly speaking out and now a million others that Trump tried to do a lot of crazy shit. Right. He tried to do a lot of shit that was that was unprecedented. That was potentially illegal. That was definitely strategically not in the best interests of our national defense or our national security. And what we, we've seen is that Millie held the line. Millie has held the line uh, before, you know, during and after Trump leaving office. And um, now he's talking about it. And Trump has waged war on Millie in the same way he did against other um I don't know how we would call them, maybe politically designated enemies of of his movement, like he did with Fauci, right? Like he's done before. He says, okay, this is the bad guy that our movement needs to fight against. And this time he's chosen the the chairman of the Joint Chiefs. Like he was still the chairman when all this went underway. He just retired on October 1st. So I think what you've got is um, a coordinated political campaign led by extremists in the Republican Party. And I don't think it's the entire Republican Party. I think it's an extreme group of people who are ideologically driven, who share, in my view, radical values that are in conflict with some of the values of of our country. And they have a coordinated effort to achieve their political goals. And one of them is to ensure that Trump is reelected, that the election is overturned. Some of them want violent overthrow of the government. Um, Some of them just want political change in the government. But they they coordinate and strategize around targets that are often designated by Trump. And right now, that target is the military. It's the Department of Defense. It's C.Q. Brown's confirmation for the new chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. It's the Secretary of Defense, Lloyd Austin. Uh, It's the entire military that they've decided is, is too woke, quote unquote, right? It's diverse. It's changing. And that is coordinated from Trump 
to um, to the, the the people who want to align with Trump, like Ron DeSantis and Vivek Ramaswamy, uh, and down to people like Tommy Tuberville in the Senate, who's right now blocking you know three hundred flag grade confirmations in an unprecedented and radical way. So I think it's a big issue. It's not just about Millie. I think it's really about our national security and the fact that we've got some folks in this country and political power who want to attack our military politically and and also just muck up the works. So I think that's important, too. Even if you don't agree with the squabble or the fight or whatever you want to call it between Trump and Milley, Tuberville's throwing a wrench in the entire Department of Defense. No one in the Department of Defense will tell you this has no impact. Families are impacted. You know, chains of command are impacted. And at the end of the day, guys, a long-winded summary is our enemies are celebrating. You know, I live in New York City, a couple of blocks away from Ground Zero. If you would have told bin Laden, hey, we're going to shut down, the, threaten to shut down the government. We're going to endanger the pay of all American troops. We're going to cut funding to allies. We're going to have the former commander in chief openly fighting out in the open with the chairman of Joint Chiefs. You're going to have candidates calling for, you know, uh, uh, attacks on Mexico, just total chaos. I think that Osama bin Laden would have been pretty happy with that. And I know that right now Vladimir Putin is. Putin had a good week. When you see the government almost <laughs> shut down, when you see you know our troops' uh, morale, uh, I think impacted. When you see the former commander in chief fighting out in the open with the the chairman of the Joint Chiefs, I think that's good for Putin. And uh, along the way, you know Ukraine funding gets gets held up. So I think Putin had a really good week. America had a really bad week. And at the end of the day, it's about leadership. And and you got to put the, the you know pin the tail on on Trump and say this is on him. He does not have to do this. And I think he has to be held accountable politically, of course, but even legally down to, you know, disclosing confidential documents, whatever else around national security will come out. But he has to be held accountable because right now he is undermining our national security, disrupting our domestic stability and just kind of screwing everything up. Can he be? Uh, Can he be held accountable? That's that's really my question. You really think so? I do. I do. I mean, and I think there's, you know, as my car episode should now be stabilized. Um, (laughs) I do. I think there's two tracks here, guys. And I don't think this gets talked about enough. There's two pieces. There's the political piece, which we'll start with first, right? Which is, okay, next year there's going to be an election. Trump is is the likely presumptive nominee. He's got 60% support in the Republican Party. You know, barring some change, he will be the nominee against Biden. Now, there there is a political... A way of holding him accountable, which is ensuring he doesn't get reelected, which I think as an independent, I think he is on track to lose. I think he's driving away independents that will be especially important in swing states. I think the Republican Party is doing that more broadly with the shutdown and these other things, including attacking the military, which I think is very unpopular among independents and moderate Republicans and Democrats are going to be key. So I think if Trump keeps this up and he continues to get indicted and he continues to say crazy things and just look unstable, I think he will lose against Biden. Now, whether he accepts that loss is another story, but I think that will be political accountability for him and potentially for his party. On the other side of things, there has to be national security accountability. And I'm looking to the Justice Department. I'm looking to the FBI. I'm looking to the Department of Defense. Anyone who can who is responsible for stopping America from being undermined, attacked and weakened. This is their clarion call. So if he gave uh, we now learn he may have given out secrets about our, our our nuclear subs. Right. He may have handed them out to an Australian businessman for him to hand them out to 40 people. If he did that, it's a violation of national security. It may be criminal. He should be held accountable like anyone else. 
if he left all these classified documents in a bathroom at Mar-a-Lago and committed a crime, he should be held accountable there. And then there's, you know, three other indictments to include potentially, uh, you know, leading an insurrection. So I think, yes, there are, there are ways he can be held accountable on both sides, but it's kind of a parallel track. I'm a Yankee fan. If you ever go to Yankee games, they have the great subway race where they have three <laughs> yeah. subways up on the board, right? And it's like, which one's going to get to Yankee Stadium first? I think you've got, you know, the indictments and the criminal proceedings and you've got the election and they're going on parallel tracks. And the question is, you know, will he be uh, found guilty on any of the indictments before the election? And then will he be, will that knock him out? Will, will, it, will, will he be in prison? Will some, he may not be disqualified, so he conceivably could still be reelected. But I think those are the parallel tracks we're watching. And I think you kind of have to keep them separate because I think especially cable news conflates uh, the political race. And they only focus on that. Meanwhile, those of us in the national defense and security community, the veterans community, are always focused on the other side because ultimately it's more important. It's more important because our national security can't wait till next November. And if we've got someone who's radically and significantly endangering our national security, whether it's a private in the Army or the former commander in chief, especially at a time when our enemies are so focused on trying to disrupt America, we got to be focused on that. I want to put some of the uh, some of the culture war stuff in context for for the listeners at home um, and get your thoughts on it. So, like, Tuberville is blocking confirmations uh, or you know, blocking uh, promotions uh, ostensibly because the Pentagon in the in the collapse of Roe v. Wade is trying to guarantee abortion access to uh, its uh, uh, to the military. Um, now, at the same time, that. It's, yeah, it's not they're not guaranteeing abortion access. Okay. Well, the, 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 the yeah, sorry, man, That's vaccine, right? vaccine break. No, no, you're absolutely right. It is important. The, the memo is phrased in a very specific way. Can you walk us through that? Yeah. I mean, so here's, let, let's walk it back. Right. So mm-hmm. last uh, June or July, you know, Rose overturned and Dobbs is put into place. Right. So, you know, this cataclysmic change in, in abortion rights in America cascades across every element of our society right so everybody whether you're you know a a fortune 500 company or a city government and you got to sit down and go okay how does this affect us right so dod and va both run the traps on all of this because they're federal agencies and you know i use va as an example um because in the past when for example cannabis is legalized in the state okay you got a federal va facility does that mean you can smoke cannabis at your local va that's the question for the VA secretary, right? So at the Department of Defense, when Roe gets overturned, the SecDef has got to figure out, okay, what do we do, right? And he goes through the regulations, and you've now got a situation where a service member may be in a place like Alabama, where abortion rights have now been restricted, and they're serving on a base in Alabama, and they need abortion care. They need, emer- let's say, emergency abortion care. What does the Department of Defense do about that? Now, you cannot go to a, a local hospital in Alabama and get treated. You can't go to a, uh, to, to a military hospital, I would think, unless maybe it's a severe case and the life is in danger. So what the military has decided is they will give you time off, right? You can, now, you still have to go to your commander and ask for it, but if you're a, a female fighter pilot and you need emergency abortion care, you, you will give it, be given time off to go somewhere else to go get an abortion. Right. That's what the VA is. Sorry, what the DOD is doing right now. Tuberville is spinning this and saying that the Department of Defense is is funding abortions. 
He's called it abortion tourism. He has really mangled and I think misrepresented this entire situation in a way that has really appealed to the culture warriors. And Tuberville said, I'm taking our woke fight over on to the DOD where they want to let everybody have abortions all day long, which is just bullshit. And so the Department of Defense is trying to figure out how to best protect its service members. I think that's important here, right? If you got a female fighter pilot who needs an emergency abortion, that's a, you know, that's that's an issue of national security, right? Like we need that fighter pilot in the in the plane flying. We need that fighter pilot with her family. We need her to be healthy. We have millions of dollars invested in this woman and she could die, right? So we have to care for her health in the same way we would, in my view, on the battlefield or anywhere else. That's what the Department of Defense is focused on. And there's the recruiting piece, right? If you're a woman and you want to join the military and you're from, let's say, New York or California, where 20% of the women join the military, do you think that young woman wants to join and go get stationed in Tommy Tuberville's Alabama? Hell no. So it's impacting recruiting. It's impacting morale. And I really do think that this is the front line of America's culture wars. I said to somebody yesterday, the VA and DOD used to be like Switzerland. Now they're like Bucha. Like now they are a battlefield. They are an absolute battlefield on everything that that's happening, whether it's um, the fight for diversity and slash woke, whether it's abortion, whether it's immigration, whether it's technology, whether it's taxes, whether it's spending, every single issue that is at the at the intersection of political fighting in America is sat right down on top of the Department of Defense, especially, and also the VA. So that's a long-winded way of, of, I think, answering your question, I hope, and providing some context. But I also will tell you, this is the new normal. If chaos is the new normal in Congress, now it's the new normal for our Department of Defense. They can't predict budgets. They don't know if a policy is going to change. Keep in mind, they just went through, okay, we've got a trans ban. Okay, we don't. Right. Like these whimsical moves from Trump, especially where he would tweet a policy and then the whole Pentagon's going, shit, what do we do? So I think it does come back to a need for stability, for 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 good order and discipline, for process, especially around our national security at a time when they got enough shit to deal with. Like a recruitment crisis in all branches, except the Marines and Space Force. Right. Yeah, you got that, too. And I, and I think this is a really important one, too, guys, if I can touch on it. Right. Everybody Please. says, like, we have a recruiting crisis, um, you know, because uh, the military's too woke or because whatever. One of the reasons why we have a, mil- a recruiting crisis is because everybody's talking about how screwed up the military is in politics all the time. Right. And when I was in Iraq, I remember when I first came home, people said, you know, don't talk about how bad Iraq is or you're, you're undermining the war effort. Right. These guys are literally undermining our war effort by saying our military is weak. We don't have enough ammunition. If you go there, they're going to make you, you know, get, get transgendered surgery. Like, it's just this radical, crazy stuff that the average person who doesn't know the military says, wow, that sounds crazy. I'm not sending my kid. I'm not going over there at a time when they're probably not going to get deployed to a war zone like they were post 9-11, where the benefits are pretty good. You know, we've got a disruptive economy. You've got great educational benefits. There's a lot going for the military, but you wouldn't know it if you watch the news because it, it really sounds like it's a shit show. And, and I think that's a part of this that's really important with regard to our recruiting. However, I will tell you one thing. I do think the mandatory vaccines in the military also drove recruiting. 
that's something Democrats and Republicans view, you know, as a partisan thing. I think it's just a factual thing, right? Like I know a percentage of people did not want to get the vaccine. And if you told them they had to get it to go in the military, you were going to lose a certain swath. Now that might be necessary because there are also people who don't want to wear body armor, right? And they shouldn't be in the military either. You know, there are people who don't want to, you know, um, get a physical or whatever else. So there are mandatory requirements that we need, but I think that is a factor that may be impacted recruiting much more than especially the Democrats want to admit. You're listening to the Angry Planet Podcast. We'll be right back. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. And we're back with more of Angry Planet. I think it gets to a fundamental question for me. It's the when you enter the military, you are taking an oath to the Constitution, right? Not to any particular part of the government, not to just the president. Uh, matter of fact, that's actually, I think, one of the most important things people don't necessarily understand, right? I mean, yep. but how do you – how, if you're a soldier – do you make sense of a constitutional order versus a non-constitutional order? How do you understand the concept of a vaccine, for example? Like, can you be ordered to, to get a vaccine? Where does your personal freedom come in versus orders from above? That kind of fun stuff. That's really simple. I think it's really simple. Anybody who's gone through basic training understands and is taught about obeying a direct order. And we all study me lie as an example of an unlawful direct order, right? If you get an, an order that's a crime, that's a war crime, that's illegal, someone says, go over there and shoot those kids, you have not only a right, but an obligation to, to, to resist that order, to not execute against that order. And then you will have a trial of your peers and you'll have an opportunity to defend yourself. And, you know, it, it's, it's the old saying, um, you know, is it, um, what is the old saying? It's like, it's, it's better to be, um, you know, um, well, well, I can't remember that you guys might know the saying it's like carried by 12 and buried by six or whatever it is. Right. Or like try, tried by 12 and buried by six. Right. They, yeah. You know, you want, you want a chance to have a trial. You want to, you, you know, if you're dead, you don't get that opportunity. But I think there's a, there's a moral question that is actually pretty simple. So here's the deal. If the, if the army says you have a direct order to take the vaccine, you take the vaccine or you get out of the army, period. 
there's no wiggle room here. If you want to go, you know, have the ACLU or or Heritage take your case to the Supreme Court, that's fine. But as long as the rule in the military is you take the vaccine, you take the vaccine. And, you know, you also have to wear your helmet when you're on a range. You have to not have live rounds in your weapon when you're rolling around. There's a lot of rules that are in place and you follow those rules. If you want to be a cowboy who doesn't want to follow the rules, don't join the army. Don't join the military. There's plenty of other places where you can go freestyle. But as long as you're in this institution, we all abide by those rules to include the ones we may not agree with personally. That's part of what you give up is your personal freedom when you have the opportunity to serve. And I think most people in uniform understand that. What they don't understand is why it's so debatable and why it's become so crazy and why our political leaders don't have any unanimity around some things, right? When I went through basic training and when I deployed to Iraq, I got shot with so many vaccines. Nobody asked me, you know, hey, I'm sure I signed something. We all did. But we were worried about the anthrax vaccine. We were worried about the smallpox, right? And we had that discussion. And then we said, shit, we got to take it. And we took it. Because we didn't want to get smallpox and anthrax. And the guys who didn't want to take it, I don't even know if there were any, they faced the UCMJ and, and, and consequences. So I really think in some ways it was a good cleansing. Because if there's a guy in my unit who doesn't want to take his vaccine and he's okay with getting COVID when we're in a helicopter for 12 hours and giving us all COVID when we're on the battlefield, I want that guy out of my unit. I mean, that's that, that guy's private shitbag and I want him out of my unit. Right. This is a guy on the football team. Right. If a guy on the football team wants to to take steroids, he's and he's going to get kicked off the team and he's compromising the team. You don't want that guy on your team. Right. So I think this is really basic in my view. And I think the lack of personal experience in the military, the civil military divide, which is really important this generation where most people in the media and in politics have not served. It allows some really stupid conversations and takes to kind of get bigger than they normally would example sorry give me an example give me another example of one of these takes getting bigger than they normally would like marco uh, rubio uh, publishing a pamphlet about the woke military with a with a helmet and a pride flag on it oh i mean yeah i mean like look <sighs> There's also exceptions that happen only in government that boggle my mind. I mean, this is maybe a bit of 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 a tangent, but until recently, the VA had a motto that excluded women and and caregivers. Right? The VA had a motto that was only for men. It was for he uh, who had borne, you know, for he who borne the battle, and for his widow and for his orphan. Now, there's no corporate corporate company in America that could have a motto. Walmart, Citibank. Anybody, you cannot go to a private employer where they said only men are welcome here, right? But this is a federal government agency that has, you know, 300 billion dollars in a budget, hundreds of locations, and that didn't change till like a couple months ago. So I think that's an example of something that is a head scratcher that actually was a big issue for the people it impacted that that wasn't inflated enough. Meanwhile, um, okay, Trump's saying we don't have enough ammunition. Who do you know in the military that says we don't have, maybe you'd like to shoot some more on the range, but I don't think there are too many fighter pilots or too many, you know, gun bunnies or, or, or tankers who are, who are in training going, damn it, you know, we don't have enough ammunition. It's just, that's an example of an inflated issue that Trump drove forward, got echoed by other leaders, and has now just become this like, it, almost not a conspiracy theory, but like a publicly accepted rumor that we don't have enough ammunition. Could we use more ammunition? Sure. 
We could always use more ammunition. We could always use more cupcakes. We could always use more money, right? But we're not running out of ammunition, you know, at, at, at Fort Benning. <laughs> I think there is a concern for people who don't want to help Ukraine in particular, you know, that that, I mean, that's part of it, right? I mean, we're giving away our ammunition. They're yeah, but you know what? I, you know what? I'm going to flip that. I'm going to say, you know what this is? Pretty good stress test. If we don't have enough ammunition, better we find out now than when the Canadians invade, right? Like, I think it's a good time for us to understand. This is really, I think, one of the most important points about Ukraine. We spent, what, less than 1% of the overall defense budget as a percentage, and we've eliminated half the Russian military. If you presented that to Ronald Reagan and said, hey, Ron, we're not going to send any American troops. We're going to spend less than 1% of our federal uh, federal defense budget. And we're going to wipe out half of Russia's tanks. And How's that sound? That's a pretty good investment. I'll take that. And I think that is an important defense component of this. We are testing every weapon system, not in American hands. We're testing every supply chain issue without Americans dying. We're testing our allies. We're testing our logistics, our saddle. Everything is getting tested in like, you guys, the, the NTC is a national training center, right? Where the, mil- where the military army often does war games. This is a giant real life war game where we get to test everything we've got on a low budget and also significantly weaken one of our two or three biggest adversaries, right? So I think that is that it cuts through a lot of that bullshit. And, and if you really understand it from a defense standpoint, this is a no brainer. We talk about uh, to, to kind of go back a little bit. Can we talk about the morale piece of this too, uh, for the common soldier? So I think that kind of getting caught up in these culture war fights tends to obscure the very real problems that are going on in the military. There was a government accountability report recently about barracks uh, and how unpleasant they are. Did you happen to see this? Did you see the pictures? Out of curiosity. I I, but I, but I, but I see them. I feel like every six months or so, it becomes a story. Yeah, Go yeah, all the way. yeah. I covered it twenty years ago. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. So yeah. you, 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 sorry. Go ahead. No, I mean, look. Um, I, I'm sure there's some internal DOD polling about morale, right? And I, I, I actually like try to follow the data because mm-hmm. I think morale is often a political bludgeon or shield for whoever wields it, right? So they're gonna say, oh. Morale sucks because of, I don't know, either Ukraine or morale sucks because they're worried the military's too woke. Like morale sucks when your chow is cold, when you've been in the rain for a month, when your wife leaves you, when you can't pay your bills, right? When you lose your leg, right? Like those are things that significantly impact morale. Like the idea that the average private is watching the GOP debates on a Tuesday night when there's like Major League Baseball playoffs on. It's just not grounded in reality. So I think, again, the politicization of our military in this generation is unprecedented in part because you can peddle this shit because most of the country hasn't served. You know, Mm -hmm. back when, you know, half the men in World War II served, everybody kind of knew what was bullshit and what wasn't because the military wasn't an other. It wasn't a reality TV show. Now you can get on TV and say, everybody in the military is wearing purple socks and it's a real problem. And half the country will be like, oh, I heard it on TV. It's true. And they don't know anybody they can actually check it with. And I think that that civil military divide is one of the single biggest challenges that our generation faces, period. I think it impacts our national unity. It impacts how we fund things. It impacts the fact that, 
You don't have veterans in Congress who can get along like they used to. Uh, I'm a big fan of national service. I know many other people from our community and our generation are as well. And I think that's important because the military and these issues often become this boogeyman or this this kind of this this hollow thing they can fill up with whatever they want. Um, and, and the truth is important and ultimately data is important. So do I think morale is in the toilet? No. I mean, is, is it more in the toilet than when we were at the middle of the surge and we were like doing 15 month rotations to Afghanistan and everybody was getting stop lost and national guard units were doing 20 month tours. I mean, that was pretty rough. You know, is it more rough than now? I, I, I think so. Yeah. I mean, but again, I, I would look to some kind of stats within the military where they actually can quantify morale because I know they do that. And I would argue the military should do a better job of sharing that kind of information. How do you how do we buy? That was the question. I think we were going to uh, Matthew and actually ask the same question at the same time, which is rare. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, how do you bridge the divide? I mean, you mentioned national service. What do you mean by national service, and how broadly do you want to apply it? So. The number one way to bridge the, na- the, the, the civil military divide is, is to implement national service. And, and there's actually now a, a, a local model, which I think is exciting. And it's led by one of our own, a post 9-11 vet who served in the 82nd Airborne, Governor Westmore, who's in Maryland, who is a friend of mine, full disclosure. He served on the board with me at Iraq and Afghanistan Veterans America. We've been friends for 20 years. He's a Democrat. I, I wish he ran as an independent like, like I am, but he ran as a Democrat and I think Wes is a tremendous leader and he's done some bold things already in his, uh, what are, like 10 months as a governor. And one of them is he has implemented a statewide, um, service program where folks coming out of high school can get a stipend from the government to, uh, perform service. Now it can be in your community working in a school. It can be working at a soup kitchen. It can be as a volunteer with young people. I think that the step further is providing an option for the military, right? Everybody, when you turn 18, you have some form of national service, I would say for two years, where you either serve in the Marine Corps or you serve in the Peace Corps or you serve in AmeriCorps, you serve in some way. And and we will have enough people based off the, the relatively small size of our military relative to the population, where we'll have enough people in the military, right? We'll get enough for that, but we'll also get a generation of people who want to serve and will have some kind of connection to each other and to this country. Right. I think that there's too many um, citizenship freeloaders who have lived here their whole life and never given anything back. And I think that that's a hard conversation to have, especially if you're a politician, but I think it's an overdue conversation. My father immigrated here as a young guy, didn't speak English. He came from Germany. He spent three years in the South Pacific. My father was drafted to serve in Vietnam. Every generation of my family in this country was drafted. And I volunteered in part because I felt like I was a freeloader. Like I had to do my part because I went to college, because I got to play football doesn't mean that I get a pass. The opposite. Like I have to go serve because it's my duty. It's my obligation. Now that was me. But I think that we need to provide pathways for young people. And that will, it's not a magic bullet. But it will help people get along. It'll help people understand other sides. It'll help people understand national security and government and infrastructure and and how to talk to each other, right? 
Uh, and they'll get technical and tactical skills. And we need the help, right? Whether it's fixing our infrastructure or dealing with a flood. Our friends at Team Rubicon, the great vets who do disaster relief, they can't do everything. They can't be at every flood and every hurricane, wildfires. There's plenty of ways for people to serve. So if I were president tomorrow, yeah, one of my top priorities would be instituting a next generation national service program. Okay, so when are you going to be president? Not anytime soon. I'm over here watching out for street sweepers, man. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) I think, you know, really an important point is my show is called Independent Americans. I'm a political independent. I'm like 49% of this country that doesn't have a political home. Have I thought about running for office sometimes, especially I live in New York and I think this city is going in a bad direction. Would I like to serve and, and, and have a voice? Sometimes I think about it, but then I look at it and I say, I'm an independent. I have zero chance in this calcified political environment where you have to pick a side. Now, I am working to change that. I want to push for open primaries and ranked choice voting and most of all supporting independent candidates who say that they want none of the above. But I think like many veterans right now, I'm trying to find a way to serve and I would like to you know, consider politics as an option, but I don't want to pick one of these two sides. And I think a lot of my brothers and sisters who have served in uniform feel the same way. If, if there was a veterans party tomorrow and it was, you know, not over, uh, over overly ideological on the issues, I think there'd be a lot of support. You know, if Colin Powell back in the day or John McCain back in the day or maybe Millie and McRaven and 10 others get together and start their own thing that is focused on country first. I think you'd see a lot of folks step up to serve. But I do think we will see a post 9-11 veteran soon. The, the reality is we've got. You know, uh, Ron DeSantis is on that stage. He served in the Navy post 9-11. Wes Moore, if, if something happens to Biden, I think Wes Moore is a top candidate. You've got Pete Buttigieg. You've got other people like that. I think in the very near future, we will see both parties put forward a post 9-11 bet probably against each other. So we used to say the matchup was going to be uh, Eric Greitens for the Republicans versus Wes Moore for the Democrats. And it looked like that for a long time. But now I think you could see Ron DeSantis versus Wes Moore in four years entirely possible you don't think DeSantis is going to get washed out this season I do I don't think he's going to I don't think he, but he, I don't think he's going to be gone like I think he'll be around for a while um and I I, I do think he's 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 floundering uh, and a lot of it is because you know whether it's Republicans or people people are looking for authenticity and he doesn't feel authentic he doesn't feel real he doesn't feel effective and I think that's beyond all the political ideology. I just don't think he's connecting with people. And then on the flip side, when if there's a matchup of like, you know, Ron DeSantis against Wes Moore, it's going to be a smoke show. I mean, Wes is like one of the most naturally charismatic human. I call him Captain Positivity. I mean, that guy's like a walking <laughs> hot. Every time you see him, he's making people happy and smile. And there's a magic to him that I think is really um, something people have to focus on. Because I think that he has that coupled with his national security experience and his veteran status and his youth, which makes him an extremely exciting candidate, Um, you know, along the lines of somebody like JFK. I mean, JFK was a young, charismatic, dynamic war veteran who captured this country's attention with his young family. And, you know, you might say, oh, Rykoff's crazy. Talk to me in 10 years and see if this is crazy, if that guy's in the White House, which I think could happen. Well, first of all, you have a date. We're we're more than happy to talk to you then. 
hey, our show's been around for eight years now. You know, maybe eighteen is possible. We'll have to see. Um, Matthew, I don't know if my can handle it. Hopefully, <laughs> I, I will either have gotten rid of my car or will have enough money for a parking space. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Matthew, you have any other questions? No, I think that'll about do it, sir. All right. Well, Paul Reichoff, we are very grateful to have you on Angry Planet. And uh, I we wish you all the luck in the world. And um, may you sweep through, you know, the political process. We I think I think you're our candidate. Well, you guys, you know, my show used to be called Angry Americans. And uh, and and I used to say, if you're not angry, you're not paying attention. Now, the question (laughs) is, what do you do with that anger? Can, Can you turn that anger into positive impact? And I think. You guys have a righteous anger, and it, it, this is a, at times an angry planet, but I think we can also make it a righteous one, and you can channel that anger into something good instead of burning it all down. We can use that fire to, to build some stuff up, and I think you guys are doing that, and I, and I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to another episode of Angry Planet. The show is produced with love by Matthew Galt and Jason Fields, with the assistance of Kevin Nadal. This is the place where we ask you for money. If you subscribe to us on substack.angryplanet.com, it means the world to us. The show, which we've been doing for more than seven years now, means the world to us, and we hope it means a lot to you. We're incredibly grateful to our subscribers. Please feel free to ask us questions, suggest show ideas, or just say hi. $9 a month may sound like a big ask, but it helps us to do the show on top of everything else that we do. We'd love to make Angry Planet a full-time gig and bring you a lot more content. If we get enough subscriptions, that's exactly what we'll do. But even if you don't subscribe... We're grateful that you listen. Many of you have been listening since the beginning, and seriously, that makes it worth doing the show. Thank you for listening, and look for another episode next week. Stay safe. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.